Hello and welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Plain. And today we are taking your questions. This is Ask Us Anything Part 2. We did a show kind of like this on episode 30. And that's sort of our projection is that every every 30 episodes, every 30 weeks from now, we'll be able to do um, a show kind of like this where we just sort of, you know, open up the table to anyone who we know, who we're in contact with, who listens to the show or crosses our paths on social media. And we just get to listen and take your questions and respond to them. So we have five pretty awesome high quality questions coming up. Lisa, let's uh, let's get into this. So our first question comes from Kelly, and in some cases we've got questions that have been made publicly, other questions that have been submitted more anonymously. So just for future reference, if you want to send us a question and you don't want us to mention you on air and give away your identity, it would be our pleasure to maintain your confidentiality. So Kelly's question is, I'd like to know your and Lisa's uh, advice on how to work through hesitation to leave a comfortable job, quote unquote, and start a new job which you know is good for your long-term career growth, but which is less appealing in some other ways um, than your current job. Just to give some context, situation I'm in now, I'm looking at losing some flexibility perks and taking a $5,000 drop in salary to move from a high-level admin job to an entry-level job that's relevant to my degree. I know this move will be important for my career in the long-term, but I'm hesitating because my current job is so comfortable. Part of me is thinking, is it really worth making this change just because I know the new job will be very challenging for me and there will also be fewer perks. It's hard to let go of having one paid day off per fortnight. Hmm. Good point. Lisa, do you want to take the first crack at this? Yeah, that's, it's totally understandable when you get comfortable somewhere, it can be really tough to leave. And this is true of so many situations in our lives Mm -hmm. when there's more, challenge moving than there is staying you really have to decide if it's worth it and it's interesting because in this particular situation when you're looking to switch careers i think that there is something to be said for dealing with some discomfort at the beginning to be able to get to where you want to go in a broader sense if somebody is coming to me and saying i'm comfortable in this job i feel like i should take this Mm. next job you really want to, the question that I would ask anybody is what's your intention? What's your goal? What are your, the things that you're optimizing for in your career right now? Mm -hmm. Because if you're optimizing for title, if you're optimizing for experience, if you're optimizing for flexibility, that's going to change the answer to what you should do. That is a great, great point of view to take. And a lot of folks kind of just, they can't, get clarity around what am I optimizing for until that question comes around. So I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. I ask a question often around just like, what's the energy you've attached to the job that you have now and the job that you are um, contemplating moving toward the whole idea is to kind of echo what you said, right? Is if the pain of um, changing seems like it's, it's greater than the pain of staying the same. We're all human. We have a tendency to take, the lesser of two pains. I think an important question to ask here is when you fast forward to, you know, the middle part or the later part of your life and you look back and you think, what did I really want out of this life? And did I achieve that? Um, And that can evoke some pretty painful thoughts if you're filled with regret at that point. So if you can kind of just move yourself 
psychologically into the future a bit here and see like if I make this change now and I move and give up my comfortable job for something that I know is more in line with what I want to do with my one and only life, will I regret that? Will, will the pain of that transition seem as, as great as it does right now? Mm -hmm. Another question that I would also ask is, are there any ways to make those pains easier mm -hmm. currently? Mm -hmm. So a 5k drop in salary is, are there ways to budget your money so that you don't really notice? Yes. Are there ways to set some boundaries for yourself so that you still do have some flexibility without compromising your work ethic and the ability to do your job? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially when we're talking about a number, um, and $5,000 is an amount that you could probably make up with some kind of like a side hustle, for example, that might be your gateway into that uh, career that's really calling for you. And it allows you to build more skills, build your confidence in that vertical, allows you to present yourself more effectively to people who might hire you in that different space um, to make up and makes up that, that decrease in salary. So just a way of sort of tactically addressing that. It's a very valid concern, like you said, Lisa. And it's one that lots and lots of people, um, they struggle with. And many times people choose to go the route of, I'm going to just stay on this path and they do it for a very, very long time. And they realize they, one day they look back and they say, I wish I'd done something different. Yeah. So, that's a great point. Yeah. It's uh, it's a tough one, but I hope that one helps you out, Kelly. All right. Our next question comes from a friend of the show, Thomas Misnick. And his question is, even though I've been out of college a couple of years with the ever-changing landscape, what advice are you giving to those looking for work right out of college? Yeah, this is a, this is a great one. And I love Thomas's empathy right now for people who are coming out of school. Obviously, it was a challenge coming out if you were in the spring and you were graduating kind of into the summer. Things really got quite dicey. Lots of companies who had taken on interns or new grads. Uh, shed a lot of those positions pretty quickly and now I feel like maybe we're we might be getting back to that reactive state but I also think that folks are just less willing to take on big projects a lot of companies are just sort of still in survival mode mm -hmm. it's going to depend on on the industry exactly so what advice to give to someone who is coming out right now I would say the first thing is be prepared to change your expectations as to what you think the start of your career will look like the vision that you had of the beginning of your career when you started um, college is probably going to look very different now that you're three, four years removed. Um, and we're into this, it looks like for the longer haul. I mean, we're, we're recording this in um, mid-November mid and it doesn't really look like there's a clear end to the pandemic in sight. Having said that, what can you do? So it might be very advisable for you to take some kind of more survival type job if that's, if that's, at the top of your needs list, like it's okay to do something that's not related to what you studied or what you want to do, um, in order to make, make sure bills get paid. It's a great time to be, um, creating content and sort of honing your voice around the things that are, you're passionate about the, the career that you want to go into. Can you build a content platform that attracts people to you, that starts conversations, that gets you in touch with people who might hire you one day. And, yeah, companies that aren't hiring, uh, a lot of the time that makes it 
easier to approach people for just simply an informational interview. So it's a chance for you to build high quality connections in the places that you would eventually like to be in. You can't really control the the pace of hiring, but you can control your response to the situation we're in. Um, if you are a little bit further back, you're maybe a year or two away from graduating. Now is a great time to start getting into those kinds of conversations so that you're graduating and hopefully we're out of the pandemic and you're, you've got ahead of speed on you at that point. Mm -hmm. I would add to that. If you are looking for a job, that's not necessarily in your field, look at the field that you want to go into and pick out some skills, soft skills that you need for that job and look for jobs where you can practice those skills. Mm. So if you want to go into sales and you're having trouble getting into that field, go and find something in retail where you're going to be working one-on-one -on -one with customers. Um, if you're going to be going into finance and an analytical job is something that you really want, try to find something where you can use your analytical skills in a different capacity so that you're still gaining skills that are going to be transferable, but it might not be exactly what you're looking for. Cool. The other thing that I would say is people are still hiring. We are seeing companies still hiring. So what can you do to make yourself stand out? How can you think outside of the box to make sure that when somebody looks at your resume, you stand out from the other people? Or like you said, how can you network to stand out to the companies that are hiring? Yeah, that is so key. And it, it I'll, I'll emphasize that again, right? Like not every vertical has been decimated in the same way. Um, I, I've worked with someone who is in the hospitality space. That's a vertical hospitality travel that's probably going to take quite some time to recover. If you're in a city that's sort of dominated by tourism locally, it might be really tough for you for a little while, but there are verticals kind of like, I mean, I think of IT because that's the one that I'm in in my nine to five. It's, it's a pretty hot time still to be a web developer. You can still find all kinds of work out there. Um, so don't let, I guess, the global narrative of the pandemic necessarily slow you down. Yeah. And on that point, too, you can look up and see what industries are still thriving or even just think about it. Healthcare is another one mm -hmm. yeah. that's, you know, Duh. taking off right now. <laughs> Unfortunately, right? Yeah. But potentially to your benefit if you're a young job seeker. Yeah. Cool. Great points. Thanks, Thomas. I received a question by email from Heather around what tools do you recommend for a systematic networking strategy to access the hidden job market, including who to contact, how often, emails or LinkedIn, follow-up and tracking the results. Do you have any tools, online tools to help job seekers that they can use to organize and track and measure their activities? It can be overwhelming. Yes, so overwhelming. Absolutely. I feel like we should tackle this one piece at a time. Yeah, let's chunk it down for sure. So who to contact? That's a great place to start. Yeah, I think to me, it depends on what is your um, ideal target role and ideal target organization and coming up with a list of usually in the ballpark of the very least, I'd say 15. I know some people have said 10. When I think about the hidden job market, <clears throat> not too long ago in episode 57, we had Austin Belsack join us in one of our best episodes ever, honestly, and he kind of took a deep dive into this topic. But um, at the very least, you want to be striking into the double digits. So let's just say between 10 and 30 uh, 
target organizations for a role that you're interested in. And from there, you can start to get a sense of who to contact. And the ideal people to know are the folks who will be making the hiring decision. That's the first thing to think about. I think too, you can split it into warm contacts and cold contacts. Mm -hmm. So cold contacts being people that you don't know that could help you and warm contacts being people that you don't have to introduce yourself to. Yes, so I definitely agree. You want to look at companies that you're interested in, but also reach out to people that you know within your family, within your friend networks who may work in the industry or know somebody who works in the industry. It's surprising a lot of times when you have a conversation about work that you're looking for that you don't normally talk about. You don't, you probably don't get into specifics with friends and family that often, but if you do go that level deeper, you'll often be surprised with somebody saying, oh, I actually, you know, one of my best friends from university works at this company that's similar to what you're looking for. And all of a sudden you now have another lead that's going to help you to get to where you want to go. Yeah. And I like your use of the word lead, like leads are everywhere and you shouldn't discount the different sources where they, where they can come from and the difference between sort of a warmer lead and a colder lead, as you said, right? All of them can ha have value in your job search. Um, but that's, we'll get to answering the question of how to sort of track that in a moment, but those are little pieces of data you should keep in mind as you build out uh, your contacts, which are your entry point into the hidden job market. Mm -hmm. Cool. Tactical question around like, how often do you, do you reach out to people? That's how I'm reading that. Mm -hmm. So it's been said that there's somewhere between seven and 12 contact points between when somebody first sees your name and they actually decide to talk to you. So if it's a cold outreach, you may want to be reaching out more often and following up and making your name known in different ways. Mm -hmm. If it's a warm contact, you probably don't want to be emailing them every week, have a conversation, come up with a plan together to say, do you know anybody? If not, maybe I'll follow up with you in another couple of months. That's a great starting point for sure. Um, yeah, the colder the lead, the, the, I guess the more brave you can be a little bit with your outreach. Um, it also, it really helps to, the, the more leads that you have, the more people you're kind of looking to get in touch with, the easier it becomes to not obsess over the one person that's not getting back to you. If you have 50 people who are all in that boat, trust me, like someone at some point is going to get back to you. Um, it's just a matter of get, creating some numbers that are in your favor um, and keeping track of it, which I know we'll get to. But a nice rule of thumb when you're starting out uh, that I've heard and, and I believe in and I use when I do outreach to different employers um, is one message every five business days. So, um, and this kind of goes into the next question around you use email or LinkedIn. I mean, um, email is often a more direct way of getting to someone, but it doesn't, and if you don't have someone's email, you should check out Austin Belsack's tool, mailscoop.io to try and obtain an email address. But if you can't get that for whatever reason, LinkedIn becomes a next, uh, tool for you to use send out a personalized invite and that's that can be the beginning of the seven to 12 touch points that lisa was alluding to yeah i would agree with that i think that linkedin is a really amazing tool for people who aren't utilizing that 
and don't don't be afraid to reach out to people. People don't mind if you connect with them on LinkedIn. They're they're not thinking you're weird for doing it. <laughs> so send those connection requests and tell them why though. The more direct um, in terms of what it is that you're looking for or why you're interested in connecting with this person. A lot of times just saying, I saw in your profile that this was interesting and I wanted to learn more about you. That's a really easy way to, to connect on LinkedIn. Um, but I agree with you, Mike, that emails, if you can find an email, always go the email route and otherwise LinkedIn's a great option. Cool. Yeah. And then just finally, in terms of tracking, uh, so online tools, I know you have a couple of ideas there, Lisa, I love to use, and I'll put, we'll put a link into the show notes for a couple of, uh, tools that I give to clients. One that is around, uh, tracking your target organizations list. So a little simple Excel spreadsheet allows you to figure out where you've been applying to, where you at in terms of your follow-up with them, uh, what contacts do you have there? And then also in terms of who you are meeting. So more of like a networking, uh, grid, putting down the names of people mentioning, you know, how strong or how warm or how cold are these ties and just tracking the touch points. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be too complicated. Um, but putting something in place, especially if you're a visual person, kind of like me, it's very helpful to, to keep things in order like, like that. Awesome. I also have a couple apps that I use for various things, for to-do lists, for projects that I'm working on, for contacts. Um, one of them is Trello. And so you can actually create project boards. So you could do them by company and then include notes on who you're talking to underneath that. Um, the other one is Asana and it's basically a to-do list, but it's great because you can organize it in a lot of different ways. You can add tags to it. You can add due dates um, and you can add due dates in, in Trello as well. But both of those you can have on your phone and also on your computer. So you can bring them with you. They're pretty mobile in that sense mm -hmm. um, and super easy to use. Yeah. Very easy to use. I use both and yeah, I think it my vote too. Sweet. Great question, Heather. We hope that this helps to um, overcome the overwhelm as you go through a job search. Absolutely. All right. Our next question is from an anonymous source. And I've actually received this question from a few different people. So when it comes to changing jobs or if you've been let go, should I get a job to just pay my bills or focus on finding the right thing right away? Hmm. So notice how we catch that word should in there, right? That magical word of feeling like we're obligated to do something. If you absolutely need to pay bills, yes, I think you should go out and get a job that allows you to do that and allow you to solve that, you know, first level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you're not able to take care of food, shelter, water, etc., you can't do a lot of these higher level human um, ambitions in terms of like going after whatever the quote unquote right thing is for you in your career. Um, notice how I've kind of alluded to something there, but yeah, like measure just how important or how closely you are to actually needing to be in this position. Um, some people they're out of work, they find themselves out of work and they actually have a cushion. They have some savings or they have some kind of a fallback in place that they just need to turn to. And that will actually buy them a little bit more time and can relieve a lot of stress that will allow them to then go after a job that they really want in a more, um, I guess, authentic 
and less desperate way. The whole comment around like finding the right thing right away. The reason I point that out is because a lot of job seekers get stuck in not really pulling the trigger on anything because they don't feel like it's quote unquote right for them. And sometimes in a career, what we need to do is just go out and do something. And it tells us whether or not this is the ideal path for us, or if there could be something better out there. And so if you need to actually take on a job and you're not sure whether or not it's right for you, don't be afraid of the fact that you can always change what you're doing later on. And it's much easier to change into a new job, new vertical, whatever, if you are already employed. That's a great perspective. Yeah, for sure. I would say similar, you know, number one is keeping a shelter over your head and mm -hmm. being able to feed yourself and, and keep up with your responsibilities. So if you have the ability to take some time and focus and figure out what it is that is the right thing, then do that. If you need to pay your bills and put a roof over your head, then get a job that will do that. Mm -hmm. My perspective on finding the right thing is kind of, it's in two, two different ways, two different directions. So on one hand, there's oftentimes where people will go from job to job and feel like they're just taking whatever comes up. Mm -hmm. And so they want to get off that treadmill and find something that's really going to be fulfilling for them. So if that's the case, I think that it is important to be able to have the mental energy to do the work that you need to do to figure out what that is. But that being said, maybe the right job. So if, if you need a lot of mental energy to do that work, to figure out what's going to be fulfilling for you long-term, find something that you're going to be able to leave at work, mm -hmm. find a job that is going to allow you to fill the needs. And sometimes it can even be like entrepreneurs that I know have gone and gotten a job at Shoppers Drug Mart because they want to go out and fill that financial need, but also the need of being around people, of joining a team. Hmm. And that allows them to leave it at work and go home and do what they need to do. On the other hand, though, like you said, if you are just constantly spinning your wheels and not picking something because you feel like you need to find the perfect job, that's something that you should also think about looking into to define a little bit more what is your perfect job going to be and is it out there yeah yeah and, and sometimes if it's not out there there's a, a chance that you could create it there is a chance that maybe entrepreneurship is something that's for you where you can create your own living doing something that helps people in a way that you care about um, that you weren't able to access before in your previous career and so, yeah, it's a, it's a moment for you to really pause and say like, what is really important to me? And that, yes, like you said, it can take some time to get there. So if you're past the, um, need of paying bills, it's a great opportunity for you to do this deep work, which can dramatically change the trajectory of the rest of your life, not just right now. Exactly. And I just want to add one more thing that the amount of time that you actually need to do that type of deep work is not as much as you think even if you're able to carve out and focus a couple of hours a week, that's pretty much enough for you to figure out what you need. It's mm -hmm. just that you need to, 
and working with a coach is a, a great way of doing this to say, how can I carve out that two hours while still doing this job that's not necessarily right for me, but is allowing me to reach other goals that I have. Great point. Yeah. Lots of ways of solving this one. It's a great question. Thank you, Anonymous. <laughs> okay. And our fifth and final question comes from another career coach. Her name is Angel Killian. She's based in Singapore. She's asking us, uh, or she's mentioning that one thing I get asked a lot is, how do you negotiate salary increases internally without any existing data? And she adds for context, a lot of the salary data out there is mainly US or EU numbers. Um, so America or the European Union and finding Asian Pacific specific numbers have been very tough. Would love to hear your thoughts. Okay. Um, I will go, f I have a stab at this one coming up that I'll yeah, start off with. So I, while I think numbers are nice, it's good to know sort of what the market expectations are for someone in your position. I really think that the mindset of negotiating based off of um, an external factor is not necessarily the best way forward. To me, negotiation should really start from a place of value and understanding the value that you have brought to an organization and particularly when we're talking about an internal salary increase, like what is the new value that you have brought to your organization since the last time that you received a raise? Or if it's the first, it's the first raise you've received since you've been hired, like what have you done that may be beyond the scope or beyond the expectations of the position originally? So what that means is that instead of looking at external numbers, you're going to have to find a way to start to quantify and measure your own work. If it's not done already some verticals that's really easy to do something like sales i mean you know the whole the whole vertical is is driven quantitatively um and, and is very measurable but you might be in a situation where you need to kind of put together what um you know adrian tom and some other career professionals that we know would call like your your brag list or your brag file which is basically a list of accomplishments results you've created things you've done and then take these value adds to the table with your employer and say hey, I have done all of these different things and they've affected the company in these different ways. And the more you're able to put it out in numbers, right? Because the negotiation at the end of the day does involve numbers. The easier this will become in terms of saying to your employer, look, uh, I bring a certain value to this company and I would like my compensation to reflect the added value that I'm now bringing. Yeah, I love that. I would just add to that, if you are looking for specific benchmarking numbers, mm -hmm. depending on the type of company you're in, your company may have benchmarking numbers that you can find. So as an example, um, I worked for Bank of Montreal, a very large company, and they had an HR intranet that you could go to and find information about the pay grades. So if you're in a particular pay grade, you can go and look at that and say, what is the minimum? What is the maximum? And what's the average for my job grade and where do I fall within that? Cause that can help you to negotiate as well. And obviously applying that to your performance. Um, if you're not in a big company and they don't have that type of information readily available, if you're in a smaller company, you may be able to have a conversation with HR. If it's a, a individual that you are comfortable having those types of conversations mm -hmm. with, you can ask questions about what does it look like within this company where might I fall 
within the job that I'm, I'm in currently. So there are information points within a company that you might use to gain some data points. Yeah. I think that those are great points. And certainly I've never lived in a, been in such a large company environment where all of those kinds of internet resources were in place. Um, I like your approach in terms of taking more of a one-on-one -on -one discussion route. I think in addition to that is that if you can have the conversation about a salary raise, salary increase before you actually arrive at the timetable where a company says, okay, annual negotiate, annual salary increases are going to happen on this date or these dates. If you can start the conversation before the company gets to that point and say, um, you know, I asked a question of my boss a couple weeks ago in a one-on-one, -on -one. I said, how do I grow financially within this organization? I, it's not, you know, I, it's not to be totally selfish. My goal is to continue to add as much value and to go as far beyond expectations as I possibly can. But in terms of like, how do I look at my career growth, you know, very directly saying, um, how, what can financial growth look like for me in this company and just uh, let it go. Yeah. I love that. So, so straightforward and also very much to the point, like you said, but you know, don't forget that we're all human. Likely your boss also cares about <laughs> their financial future, right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> so it's not outrageous to ask a question like that. No, not at all. And if a company is dodging that kind of a question or doesn't want to take it on, uh, that should probably be a red flag at that point. Definitely. Yeah. It's time to start looking around and seeing, hmm, what else is there for me out there where I might have my value truly recognized? Yeah. Cool. That's a great question. I definitely think it's a mindset shift leaving the world of Glassdoor and all of those websites that are there to help job seekers. But I think there's a there's a better, healthier mindset that takes puts you in the driver's seat of your career a lot more. Love it. Cool. Sweet. Well, that is it for episode 60. We've had some great questions. Love the quality of these. Uh, dear listener, if you want to reach out to us, like I said at the top of the show, uh, we'll do this again in about 30 weeks time, but don't be afraid to reach out to us. In the meantime, we will also plug in some LinkedIn URLs to Angel and Thomas who pose their questions publicly. Just a little shout out to you guys. So thank you so much for contributing. Yeah, thank you so much. And we really do love these types of episodes where, you know, if you have questions, we're happy to answer in a longer form. So feel free to send them our way. Super exciting. For the Career Builders Podcast, I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Plain. We hope you are well, and we hope you'll join us again soon. Bye for now.